This is Think Like a Genius. Tread the line of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, and so much more than gray matter. Let's dive in as we fall into a world of intrigue. And now, Think Like a Genius with your host, Lance Vantanar. Welcome to Thinking Like a Genius podcast. My name is Lance Vantanar, and to give you a bit of an idea who I am, I am a cybersecurity professional. I have had an interest in psychology and cognitive psychology and also human behavior for an extensive period of time, but in the last couple of years decided to take it to a whole new level based on some personal requirements of trying to figure out why I was being stupid and why I was repeating certain mistakes in my life. The driver behind this obviously was uh, trying to figure out how I was thinking and why I was thinking in a certain way. And part of this was because I had this feeling or this perception that something wasn't right. It's that thoughts or that feeling in the back of your head that you know you're missing something it's you're not seeing the the big picture to use some analogies and it's this feeling that something's just not right it's not sitting right with me and I ended up doing quite a lot of reading and research and digging into psychology and all kinds of other weird and wonderful things to try and figure out uh, some some fundamental basics about how I was processing information, how I was thinking, why I was thinking in a certain way. A lot of it started making sense when I read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, and that spurred on a lot more research into various other areas to better understand how I thought and how I processed information or why I processed information the way that I did and thinking in general. So the research led me down a number of various avenues and that research ended up leading into a book being written about basically how to think. Part of this was a self-education of, of how to understand myself. So the driving reason behind it was I never really had a manual to explain how I thought or why I thought in a specific way. It was always, there was always an inferred ideas or concepts or instructions on how to think and how to learn and people develop their own skills and methods and processes as they go along but it's never really explained as a core concept of this is how you think you think this way because of these reasons your behavior can be changed or altered because of these reasons the psychology behind these behaviors is because of these various factors And this is more or less a template of your thought processes. So this discovery process meant I looked into a number of various areas to better understand the process as a whole and to then develop some or try and see if I could develop some templates or patterns within popular research, movies, you know, marketing, various other areas, because there's a lot of reference about psychology and persuasion and various other things to explain 
certain aspects of how uh, an event can be or a, a behavior can be achieved no one's really dug into the background of or the reasons behind that to actually explain the how the why and the why uh, wherefore of each aspect of how it all fits together so my purpose was basically to take all of these disparate pieces of information put them all together and try and get a cohesive whole basically a manual to say this is how you think because of your psychology your behavior your upbringing your experiences various other factors which do have an impact on how you actually perceive life this led to all of the different areas which i try to cover in the topics which i'll be doing other podcasts on but the fundamental basic that i was trying to achieve is one what do you think why you think the way you do when you think it and how you think it and the the various factors that can influence your thought processes and your decision making and your perceptions on life now there are various ways that people process information majority of the ways that people process information is very linear in their thinking it's a very cause and effect type approach to thinking there's there's a lot of historical references to them there's some classic examples if you if you look at it from prohibition is a very good example of linear thinking to resolve some of the social problems and drunkenness and impact on uh, social abuse within family life in the in the 1920s prohibition was brought in to reduce the impact of alcohol on society in the united states the net effect of that was a lot of the alcohol sales actually went underground and it led to organized crime and various other long-term negative effects because of the way that it was approached. Although the concept and or the intent was to have a positive effect on people and actually family life, the long-term effect was actually creation of organized crime and it drove uh, various other behaviors which caused a number of other unexpected negative effects so this whole process to identify all of the ways that people think and explored and understood and learned was what i was trying to clarify to explain to myself how and why i actually did what i did so the first step in the whole process was to learn how the brain thinks or the brain, uh, the brain processes information to understand perception, understanding how the brain develops its knowledge structures, its library of information, and how it organizes this information to allow it to easily and quickly process the bits of information and to structure it in a way to make it easily accessible and to build out chunks of information that it uses as as part of its knowledge structure and cross-referencing. If you look, think of a library, a library is made up of an index and the brain more or less uses it in the same way but instead of characterizing the information based on uh, letters and authors and everything else it groups information according to chunks it develops things like uh, course structures which are then loosely affiliated for example animals objects feelings under animals you'll have dog cat cats you then have a structure of big cats small cats home cats or even wild cats and then you've got leopards lions jaguars cougars and various other animals which are structured on that the main core structure or chunk of information is basically cats but under that you've got a bunch of sub 
topics or genres which then all feed into the main core concept of a cat which then feeds up into the chunk of the information which is a mammal which then feeds up into the whole group of which is animals so that's a, an example of how the brain chunks information together to actually structure it, to allow it to easily and quickly recognize it one of the main things that the brain uses for learning is actually pattern recognition it's very good at identifying patterns based on previous examples and it speeds up this processing when trying to identify these patterns quickly and easily and that's how a person is able to spot differences very very quickly because this relies on some of the historical evolutionary aspect of the, of the brain which is very very focused on survival and the survival mechanism is very keenly tied into pattern recognition and movement and fear and fight and flight mechanisms and the pattern recognition is, is a way for the brain to quickly and easily identify the unusual. It'll filter out a lot of similar information or, or very accepted bits of information. And it only keys into things which are novel, which feed into a number of other ways that, that this can be manipulated, which is manipulated quite effectively in social engineering, also in uh, social, social media and social platforms. It uses a lot of the novelty aspects and to keep the brain engaged and keep people engaged in services that they offer. The other ways that you can develop learning is through social learning. And social learning is anything where you have a group of people that are working together and the, the brain uses this grouped method of learning to quickly and easily assimilate and, and learn from other people. It's okay learning on yourself, but it's a very methodical, slow-going process. Social learning has got a lot of group thinking involved, and it speeds up the learning process because it shortcuts all of the information processing, which normal self-learning ends up leading towards. The other thing to take into consideration is failure and success. If you take it back a number of years before people actually really got caught up with the whole success-failure connotations, I think that whole concept of the whole perception is very, very badly skewed because instead of looking at learning as a fail-success ratio, and I think that's where a lot of the exams skew that perception quite badly, is that instead of seeing it as a fail and success, always see it as a learning path and actually development of knowledge. And the purpose of learning is skill acquisition, skill development. It's not just about jamming information into your brain because that's not useful to, to the person as a whole. The whole process of learning is actually to get some benefit out of that. And that's where a lot of the, I think, the learning platforms and school has got a big negative drawback is that there's not enough interactive feedback loops built into it to make it actually useful and extrapolate that use into other areas. And that is where a lot of the social learning has a lot of benefits is because it's part of the whole social interaction. It speeds up the learning process and you can actually see practical application of the knowledge while you're actually doing it. It means that you can actually embody the knowledge. Embodiment is basically being able to learn the information take action on it and then get the feedback to know whether it's good or bad and whether it's something that you can actually use long term or over a period of time or even at a later stage in life. And learning does tie into mindset and how mindset actually determines your approach to learning and also processing information and your, your process and your view on life. 
And there has been a lot of work done by Carol Dweck, who wrote a really excellent book called Mindset. And that explains how your mindset can be clarified by the language that you use and also the upbringing that you have and some of the friends that you have or your, your social group, because they determine more or less how you approach your mindset. Some people are completely different than that their mindset is a lot more different than their actual peer group and they have a very different outlook on life and you see that very quickly in how they behave their approach and uh, and their actual outcomes in life but to have a better understanding of what your mindset is and how the language is used in the mindset actually determines how you think is very interesting and it's uh, is a good way of actually clarifying how you will in essence approach problems in life and deal with challenges and the two mindsets that actually have come to light out of that is one called flexible and one is fixed i will go into mindset in quite detail at a later stage but those are quite key in learning as well the learning has led to various other topics which i research and one of the things which i research as well to better understand to see if i could develop it as a skill are the thinking skills which various people have applied And there are some noted examples. First principle is something which is associated with Richard Feynman, Professor Richard Feynman. Uh, He was one of the most well-known and well-publicized, you could say, professors. And his approach to life is extraordinarily interesting in how that he investigated life and viewed life and processed information and learned and If you look into his approach and his learning method, you could understand how he was able to become such a respected thinker and how his habits and his skills were developed over time. That does come back to mindset and also upbringing in a a very interesting way. Now, first principle, I have seen some references. I think it was in... One of the Hannibal Lecter movies, Silence of the Lambs. I will see if I can find the actual clip to share that online at some later stage. The other interesting thing which I've only recently realized is Hannibal Lecter is also using a certain amount of social engineering in the one scene where he's asking one of the secretaries to flip through a Rolodex. And that is social engineering in popular media in one of the first examples which I can think of at the moment. Now, social engineering is something else which I'll discuss at a later stage in more detail because it's a part of the area that I work in in cybersecurity. Coming back to thinking skills, one of the key requirements of thinking skills is actually relying on mental models. Now, mental models are structures of knowledge for specific topics which you can then reference as a knowledge source for you to be able to make decisions. Now, the core principle behind mental models is to understand the principles or the core fundamentals of the topic that you're researching, building out that structure of knowledge and having a very clear idea of basically the laws and the principles of that topic. A good example of the application of mental models is Richard Feynman when he discusses the concept of knowing the name of something doesn't mean you know something. And the example that he talks about is a thrush. And the thrush example that he talks about is that there are various names for for the various thrushes in all of the different languages. But knowing the name of the various thrushes in all the languages doesn't tell you anything about the bird itself. Now, if you actually look at the bird itself, the bird itself is actually one of the biggest 
group and the species or the birds, which means they've got three forward-facing toes, one rearwards, and they are most common species of bird that you can find throughout the world. But the various names that they give them are more descriptive of the actual type of bird instead of the actual bird itself. And the context of the name is, is just more descriptive. The adjective is something which I'll talk about later in, in, in an example that uh, Russell Ackoff talked about is system thinking, which is again another thinking skill. And systems thinking talks a lot about looking at the idea or the solution that you've got or the problem that you're trying to solve as a whole and not just looking at it as a whole and then breaking down on its subsequent components, which first principle does, is that you actually look at the topic as a whole, you break it down into its various components, and then study those components to actually understand the core or the, the, the aspect as a whole. System thinking takes it a step further, where you actually look at the component parts, but you don't just look at the component parts, you actually take a look at the interactions And the secret is actually in the interactions and how those interactions have an effect on the whole. And making a change to a single component doesn't necessarily benefit the whole. It can actually have a detrimental effect on the actual functioning of the whole. An example of that is a... It's something that was done in the U.S. where they took a lot of bends out of rivers. That was done as a way of actually reducing some of the impact of the floods on on the surrounding areas. But the problem with removing a lot of the meanders in the river is that, yes, it reduced the floodplain, but the problem with that is that it increased the amount of flow of water down the river, which meant that you had a down river effect of more volumes of water traveling at a higher rate during the times when there were heavy rains which had a bigger impact on various communities rather than actually just leaving the amanders in because it actually had a double effect of putting down silt but it also slowed down the flow of the water and reduced the the amount of volume that was flowing at any given time it's various examples of how systems thinking and understanding the interactions of the various systems have got a definite impact about the result in itself and the long-term effect and also knowing whether you're doing first level thinking or second level thinking which again are the very thinking examples that I've tried to research and actually understand to better develop the skill in myself. Now, mental models is something which is used quite heavily by a very well-known investor, which is Charlie Munger and also uh, Warren Buffett. And he's also somebody that uses cognitive biases quite heavily to understand and to better make investment decisions. And cognitive biases I'll talk about in a, in a second. One of the areas I also looked into was uh, health and how health can actually have a detrimental or a positive effect on cognitive processing and thinking capability. This is something which I know from personal experience. I used to have a an issue with eczema and I looked into various methods to try and fix it and over the years of various testing I ended up resolving the majority of my problems through changing my diet and actually becoming very focused on nutrition and instead of looking at a diet I started looking at nutrition and un- understanding how the quality of the food that I ate and the type of food I had had a beneficial effect on my skin. And that also improved my health long term. The lesson from that is that 
for for somebody that suffers from brain fog, which is quite a, a, a general condition which affects a lot of people, can actually be improved by looking at your nutrition, but also looking at your health as a as a whole. It's not just one aspect of it, which again comes back to systems thinking. Is actually understanding the interrelated relationship between the various aspects and actually realizing that it's oxygenation, it's exercise, it's sleep, it's nutrition, it's all of the other things which make up your health in general. It's not just an aspect of nutrition. Yes, that's one part of it. It's not just the only thing which can have an impact on your ability to process information. Now, the issue with brain fog is that People try and look at brain fog as a singular thing. How can I fix it? And once you start realizing that you need to pay attention to your hydration levels, your sleep, your breathing, these things all start having a cumulative effect and the the behavior or the interrelated relationship between each one of them does have a long-term beneficial effect on your health and your ability to have clear thinking capability. One of the areas out of interest that I looked into was cholesterol and how the body actually used cholesterol and what the value of cholesterol was in the body and all of the misconceptions that people have about cholesterol and how it's been presented to everybody and that understanding the actual role of cholesterol in the body and how the body uses cholesterol as an energy source gave me better insight on how I can be more educated and it ties back into nutrition so these are all sound very disparate but they definitely have an effect on health in general or just overall breathing does have a very big role to play in changing how your brain processes information in very short real terms to give you an example is a lot of people when they get into an angry or a stressful situation will say a red mist came over me or I can't get this out of my head or when they get stressed it's like I don't know what I was thinking at the time and these are all ways that the brain processes information and it ties back to the fight or flight responses and the various emotions and chemicals which start interacting to deal with a stressful situation and that change in your breathing and your heart rate can actually be reversed through being a lot more conscious of of your breathing and that's where meditation fits into the whole thing because it actually helps you become a lot more aware of your breathing and your body reaction state and mindfulness does have a very big effect on how you are perceiving information and how your body awareness can actually help you detect these changes and to then react accordingly to uh, to better manage the situation as a whole where breathing has a direct impact on your thinking capability especially when you're in a stressful situation is when you take a deep breath it actually changes how the brain uh, processes information it slows down the brain processes and it's uh, it shuts down some of the fight or flight responses and it actually reduces your heart rate which reduces the amount of cortisol that's being flushed through your system and your body's reaction starts slowing down and calming down and you start getting a lot more clearer thought processes and you get a calmer thought processes that's part of the reason when somebody gets angry they say to people count to 10 that's got a dual function or take a deep breath 
the count to 10 thing changes your perception just slightly out of a specific anger situation and counting on something else allows you to change your focus onto the specific count. Now adding breathing into that by breathing in with each count gives you a physical manifestation and a way of physically monitoring your body reaction while you're doing a count and that's a way of very quickly changing your perception just enough for you to be able to get better control of a situation and to better be able to focus in and get a bit of perception and perspective change on it. The breathing ties into another very key component of health in general but also how the body actually deals with threat and also how it perceives information and that's the vagus nerve. I'm going to reference Dr. Russell Ackoff's work in this regard because he, sorry, not Russell Ackoff, actually Dr. Stephen Porges. Russell Ackoff is systems thinking. Uh, Stephen Porges developed a theory called polyvagal theory, which explains the vagus nerve and the functions of the various functions that the vagus nerve has and how that can actually change or affect your thinking and how the body actually deals with the information on the various levels and he explains how it uses the the nervous system to perceive information and to then process information very quickly using the subconscious and when something does stand out the conscious thinking starts kicking in to work with the uh, the perceptions that have been coming in and the vagus nerve then also is, is a way that the body uses breathing to actually uh, signal back and forth to the brain. So the vagus nerve starts in the, in the brain, runs down the neck, and then down behind the heart or through on the side of the heart, and then ends up in the, in the intestines and the diaphragm and also all of the organs. So there's a bunch of receptors in the organs, which is why health has got such a very big key impact on, on your capability to think. Because the more you've got problems with your health and your gut and the, the less healthy you are, that gets basically fed back up to the brain. The same impact can be actually felt when you're actually using breathing because the way of breathing into your diaphragm that a lot of meditation promotes and that yogic breathing does is a way of actually stimulating the nerves in the, lower, in the intestines and the diaphragm which then changes how the brain processes information. This also has some other additional benefits because breathing can actually have a beneficial impact on the vagus nerve because it also deals with immunity and also the capability to actually deal with infection. So by improving your breathing, it does have direct impact on your health and the quality of your, your breathing has a direct impact on your health, which is one of the reasons why smoking has got a negative effect overall on your health because it actually reduces your capability to breathe. There are some, you could say, positive effects from nicotine to the brain because it acts as a stimulant and that's why a lot of people use it. The overall negative effect of the carcinogenic components is, is obviously well known. I'm not going to dive into that. So all of these aspects make a, a huge topic on, on health, which then does have beneficial impact or negative impacts on, on health as a whole, which is only some of the areas I've touched on. There are some other areas that a significant amount of research into. Uh, a lot of it is 
research on medical journals and publications. Others are just general reading. One of the areas I've read up about were actually flow states, or as a lot of people are well uh, known for, is being in the zone. And the most popular books that you can find out there are done uh, written by Stephen Kotler, which is uh, Rise of the Superman and Stealing Fire. Two brilliant books that you can read about flow states and how it's used and how you can actually find ways of actually triggering the flow states and understanding flow states and what makes it up and how you can actually get into those flow states and various and qualifying the information of the flow states and some of the background research in it and how it's actually being used a lot more in corporations. Uh, it's really two of the, the best books on flow and flow research that you can get. The other areas I looked into or to understand better was cognitive biases. The dive into cognitive biases was on the back of the book by Daniel Kaufman, which is Thinking Fast and Slow. I am going to say outright, I think Daniel Kaufman was wrong in stating that cognitive biases are errors. I don't think they're errors. I think they default modes which is built into the brain. And that is every person on the planet has got cognitive biases and there are shortcuts that the brain uses to process information. The challenge with the cognitive biases is the majority of the person or people are not always aware of the cognitive biases and they're not always aware of how they can actually affect your thinking. A classic example of a cognitive bias is confirmation bias. A lot of people are a lot more familiar with it and basically what it means is that once you start looking for information, the brain will automatically look for more information that confirms the information that you already have. There is a reason behind that in that it comes down to the fact that the brain is trying to conserve energy and the fastest way for it to process information is to look for confirming evidence of that information. The challenge is that it doesn't always give you the full picture and the only way that you can get the full picture is then start changing how you look at the information and start looking at it from a different perspective. But that in itself is a challenge because your preference is to look for confirming evidence rather than trying to disconfirm that. And that's something which, if you think about it, is something well known is where people say, oh, they've got a bunch of yes men with them or why do I have all these yes men? There's a number of reasons why people will always say yes to somebody who's famous and that's various other psychological reasons behind that which I'll dive into further at a later stage. Other biases are hindsight bias, where you look back at something, you realize that you made a big mistake or you had a completely different perspective on it once you've actually gone through the experience. And that's like, I wish I'd known. Well, you couldn't have known at the time because you based your decision on the information that you had at that time. And a lot of people use that to beat themselves up psychologically because they made a mistake and they said, I should have known that. Well, you didn't at the time, so you can't really state that. One of the other well-known biases is uh, jumping to conclusions. And jumping to conclusions is where the brain's got disparate pieces of information. And majority of the time, it's a way of quickly identifying potential patterns and to tie up information to make the processing faster. So instead of uh, just saying this person is a fast driver, therefore they're irresponsible. 
it's a big jump. It could be you take a look at it from a different context. The person is a fast driver because they are a racing driver, which means they're highly skilled. They've developed over a number of years and they're actually racing in a race. Now the context has changed completely. Instead of just having that psychological content or that perception that somebody's a bad driver because they're a fast driver doesn't necessarily mean that if you start changing the context that actually changes the understanding of how you perceive information and that's where context has plays a very very big role in actually changing people's perceptions and again these things tie into cognitive biases once you start understanding some of the functions of cognitive biases and how they can change your concept your perception of things it starts opening up a lot more insight into what you're doing on a day-to-day basis the next step is looking into uh, psychology now psychology obviously has got a lot of you could say baggage behind it because people think if you look into psychology, you're either trying to manipulate somebody in a bad way or you're trying to you know, get into somebody's head. What people don't realize is that psychology is used on a day-to-day basis in a number of very different ways. And actually understanding the background of psychology and how the brain actually or how psychology as a mental model is used and once you have a better idea of how psychology is actually implemented it's instead of seeing it as a bad thing you can actually have a better understanding of how psychology is actually available throughout life and it's used as a way of actually interacting now social psychology there's a lot of research that goes into that and one of the most popular books about persuasive psychology which ties into social psychology is Robert Cialdini's persuasion books. Very insightful to read. It's got a lot of background uh, research into it and it does help explain a lot of background to it. Now the persuasive psychology has got a lot of really good clear examples of it when you break it down into reciprocation, how that works and why that works so well and uh, perceptions and these things will give you a better understanding of the human interaction. Now the flip side of that is that that persuasive psychology is also now being used a lot more in things like not just marketing but also cybersecurity and fraud. And it's playing a big impact in businesses and life in general. A classic example of that is CEO fraud or this email fraud where people are sending in invoices stating that, can you please change my banking details or they'll target companies that way in businesses that have lost significant amounts of money because of the way that psychology is used in that. And I've specifically presented on that as a topic at a financial conference. Again, social psych or the social engineering side of things I will go into as a separate topic because of uh, the work that I do on a day-to-day basis. And these are all of some of the areas which I've looked into to better understand myself and how I perceive and process the information to know why I behave in a certain way, why I think in a certain way. This meant that I researched, obviously, mental models. I looked into the various people who considered genius to understand how they thought and identify some of the patterns in their thinking to find out why it is that they were so successful in the areas that they were working in. And this process of identifying patterns allowed me to better understand how I perceived information and actually 
made life a lot more interesting because you've got a lot more qualitative knowledge to be able to understand your interactions with other people and how you actually perceive information and read information. And this ties into obviously learning and reading and understanding and mental models and thinking disciplines and thinking skills, which then can have a positive impact on on various other things like understanding your buying triggers when you actually presented with the marketing offers or actually becoming better at your work, especially if you're doing any kind of analysis work or very heavy thinking work. So these are various areas that I was hoping to get some benefit out of all of the research that I was doing. And the book, in essence, will be the end result of all of the research. And the next stage of my learning has been to start up a podcast. And the purpose of a podcast is to better embody the knowledge that I've learned about and to share it with other people. So my challenge to people is to actually come up with examples of either cognitive biases or various terms that provide insight into processing information or to perceive information. Some of the examples I'm going to give are putting your best foot forward, don't judge a book by its cover, looking back at things which ties into uh, hindsight bias. An example, grandmother has a very rigid ideas and sees everything as, as black and white. There's some explanation into ignorance and how the brain processes information from a very low or lack of information more really than the ignorance ignorance is is more lack of information really than uh, anything else Uh, and the other one which people are very aware of or very well known is changing your perception by walking in another man's shoes it's just an analogy of actually getting people to look at things from a different perspective by and actually experiencing the other person's life and seeing things from their viewpoint all of these require being willing to, to experiment and to learn. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to allow me to learn more by teaching other people or actually talking about the, the topics. Thank you for your time and let me know your thoughts uh, by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks a lot. When you support and review a podcast like this from someone like Lance, it gains more visibility and motivates him to produce more. What topics most interest you? The best topic gains a shout out on the podcast.